It's been a pretty normal week in the world, hasn't it? Uneventful, boring. It's been quiet, a little too quiet. My social media feeds have been practically empty. Man, everywhere I've looked this week, I've seen kindness and respect. It's been a nice change of pace. It's been really good. I am a liar. And it has been a really hard week for a lot of people. It's been a really volatile week, and there's been a lot of impassioned people. There's been a lot of opinions. There's been a lot of words. There's been a lot of anger. There's been a lot of confusion. There's, there's just been a lot of commentary. And, and this isn't new. We've been here before. And it'll blow over and we'll get there again. Something else will trigger it someday. It's not new. But what matters for us in these moments isn't really the situation, but it's who we are in the situation. It's how we respond in the situation and the words we choose to use in the situation and who we trust in the middle of all of these times. And so we're going to talk about that today. It's fitting. We actually had this kind of topic picked months ago it's fitting that it's fallen on this day at this time. We're going to talk about how to treat one another, how to be kind, and, and what words we should use and what that looks like. And so I'm just going to get you to stay standing as we read our passage today from Colossians chapter 3. It starts in verse 18. And it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. And work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than people. And remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just pray again that you would be the one who speaks to us, that we would hear your words, where we're grateful that the words we listen to today are, are living and active. And so I just pray your spirit would move amongst us now, that we would give you the freedom to, to speak to us, that we would give you the freedom to kind of mess with us a little bit. If we need to be pushed, I pray that you would do that. And we're eager to hear what you would have to say. And so speak, Father, we're listening. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And again, it's good to see you here tonight. And uh, really glad that you're in church with us. And welcome to Crosspoint. Want to also say hello to everyone at our South Campus. And uh, we're glad that you're worshiping with us at the movie theater. It's awesome. And uh, I'm hearing incredible reports about what's going on at our South Campus. And uh, Pastor John, who's our campus guy there for the next few weeks, has been filling me in and kind of telling about, like, who's showing up and new people we're meeting and new people that are coming back, which is awesome. And, and it kind of dawned on me last week that we, have, we now have people attending Crosspoint that I've never seen with my eyes. It was just kind of neat. I've never seen some of you. You guys see me, but I don't see you, and so it, it's kind of a cool thing. We had a Connect lunch last weekend, which we do sporadically to meet all the new people that we've been seeing, and so they did one over there uh, at the mall, and the mall's not technically open, but Mrs. Vanilli's at the food court opened just for the South Campus, and they had 30 people stick around, and, uh, which is awesome. And uh, again, we already heard someone got saved last week, and so God is working at the South Campus, and we're excited about that. And um, so yeah, we're glad you guys are with us. Uh, we're in week four of a series that we've been in called Home Is, where we've been talking about family, talking about our homes, talking about church, 
and, and all of those things and, and how they kind of operate. And the first week we talked about what it means for a church to really be a family. And then the week after that, we talked about what it means to be a family that can be unified even when we're all different. And last week, we talked about how God calls us to, to put a leaf in our table so that more people can pull up a chair and join us in our families. This week, we're going to talk about how to treat one another now that we're in these families. And it's been a really timely series in a lot of ways and uh, kind of fitting for our season. And I've really enjoyed going through it. And it's really important for us to talk about this because we're all people, right? We're all... We're, that's kind of a dumb statement. We're all people here, right? He questioned. Um, but here's the thing. People are the best. People are awesome. Aren't people great? And the worst. People are the worst. People are terrible. And, and it kind of dawned on me the other day, if we could just get rid of all the people, we would get rid of all the problems. Right? Because all of our problems are people. I don't think it's going to work very well, though, really. The problem is people, but the, the problem really is when people don't get along with people. So the problem is people not getting along with other people. Is that super clear right now? Good. See, if all of mankind could just learn how to get along with one another, what problems would we have left? Spiders? <laughs> there wouldn't, we'd be searching. There wouldn't be many. You could almost boil down any problem into a people problem. You look at the world, world hunger, it's not a food problem. It's a people problem. I mean, half the world has an obesity problem. It's not food, it's people. You look at poverty. Poverty isn't just an economic problem, it's a people problem. It's an incredibly complex people problem that, that touches on greed and racism and all kinds of different things. If, if we could just fix people, we would fix all of the problems, which is kind of what Jesus came to do. He came to fix people. In fact, he did us one better, and he doesn't just fix us, but he makes us brand new. And so he came to kind of remedy all of these problems. The problem still remains, though, is that we're still people. Even if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, you're full of the Holy Spirit. There's this incredible truth that something supernatural resides in you where we're not just natural. There's supernatural, but at the same time, we're still completely human. And God, he gives us the ability to still make our own choices. We can still say our own words. We still get to do our own actions. So we're still kind of people. But thankfully, he doesn't just kind of leave us, leave us to our own devices, but he gave us a book full of incredible truth and instruction on how we should now live together as followers of Christ. And, and what we find in the Bible, interestingly, is that even though people are really the cause of all of the problems, Jesus was in, indicate that people are also the solution. Jesus' answer for the world was the church. Jesus left. He's like, I'm out of here. Go be the church. He says, all of our problems are people, but the solution, he says, is people. It's my church, but it's about how the church now operates and what we do and the responsibility that we hold. It's about our decisions that we make now. Christianity is incredibly relational. right? It, it, people talk about it, well, it's my personal relationship. Well, yeah. But it's not just an individual thing that we do. Following Jesus isn't just, oh, good, my soul is saved. I can take it easy now. 
But see, there's a command that comes with following Jesus that is also now go and love. See, it it forces us to be relational. It forces us to kind of impact all of the other relationships that we're involved with. Following Jesus shouldn't just transform your life. It should also transform the lives of the people that you come in contact with. That's what Jesus does. It's a relational decision, right? If the church was not relational, it would die, right? Like if all of us, if everyone in the kingdom right now just decided, no, I'm good with where we're at. We don't need anyone else here. Let's not go tell anyone the church would die with our generation, would it not? If, if Pentecost, if the 3,000 people who get saved at Pentecost all said, "Woo, well, I made it, I'm good. Let's just chill right here. The church wouldn't have made it out of the first century. See, it's relational. It doesn't just affect you, but all of the people around you. Jesus should have an incredible ripple effect on your family and all of your relationships. So people are the problem, but they're also the solution. And Jesus says, my church is now the answer. Now go and love. And so scripturally, we do this. It starts with our family. We talked about this in week one, how important the family is to God. And and that family is language used from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God uses family language. In fact, the very first thing God did after he created Adam was put him in a family. He says, hey, Adam, this is great. Welcome to paradise. It's not good that you're alone. Right? He goes, that's not, the point isn't to be alone. This is not a solo endeavor. And so he makes Adam a wife, and he's like, that's great. Now go have more kids. Right? It's family language. Right off the bat, the first thing that happens in creation is you guys should be a family. Now go make other people so they can make more families. And then God uses that language for us, and he says, I'm going to adopt you into my family, and I'm, I'm your father, and you're my children. So the family is this kind of foundational unit for all of society, it was God's plan that that's, that's how I'm going to change the world. It starts with the families, because family is the primary place where someone is nurtured and loved and cared for and kind of cultivated. It was his goal that it would happen, and, and it was God's hope, really, that everyone would have the experience to, to, to have that love in a family, to have the protection that comes with a family, the stability that comes with a family. This is why it matters so much to God for his church to take in all of the people who don't have a family. This is why God talks about the orphan. It's why God talks about the widow. It's why he talks about the foreigner. Because he knows that what's going to be best for those people is that they wouldn't be alone, but they would be in a family. I think we would all agree with the statement that a child wouldn't be better off in an orphanage than with a loving family, correct? Why? There's something about family that's best for us. There's something about being in a good, loving family that changes us and helps us. It's where we flourish is in a family. So we're going to talk a little bit about how to be that family, how to function in that family. It's going to be really practical, uh, as you've already heard from our passage. Uh, In in fact, if you've got your Bibles and you turned there, there's probably even a header above your passage that says something like, basic instructions for Christian households. It was almost like, here's, here's what we do. Here's how we do it. This is not a deep sermon at all. There's, there is no kind of like cool metaphorical language. This is like nitty-gritty relational kind of stuff tonight. This is how we work through relationships. This is how I, I love and respond to my family, to my neighbors, to my politicians, to my bosses, to my leaders, to everyone 
And, and the bottom line really is that now, as, as a follower of Christ, all of your relationships are Jesus-centered. Right? How you treat other people is really all about you, not the other people. It really is. That's a sobering statement for some of us. And if Jesus has changed you, then you need to change the way that you treat other people. So let's look at our passage again. And uh, I want to walk through this again, but with some context, because in the first century, what Paul writes in this passage is revolutionary. This would have been been mind-blowing for them. Uh, Here's what I mean by that. He starts with the wives. Back in the first century, uh, wives were treated as property. Women, really, in general, were treated as property. They, they didn't have any rights. They had no legal rights whatsoever. Uh, a husband basically treated his wife as a possession. In fact, most wives, had, they had to have their own living quarters. They weren't even allowed to eat with their husbands. Some wives are like, I want both of those things. But no, no, it's not. It wasn't, it wasn't good. Um, and, and a wife was commanded to be loyal to her husband, even though society kind of looked the other way and the husband could go have a whole bunch of relationships on the side with other women. See, all of the duties were on the wife, but all of the privileges went to the husband. Women were property. That was first century. Children, it it was much the same way. They were completely under the dominion of their parents, specifically the father. In fact, if you've kind of studied the Roman Empire, then then you'll know that there was a law called, and I'm going to butcher this entirely, the the patria potestis, which meant the, the power of the father. Which basically, again, meant that the children were just a piece of property under their father. A a dad could do whatever he wanted to his children. You needed to make some money, you could sell your kid legally. If you wanted to force your kid to work for you as kind of like a slave or a worker, then you could do that too. If you, I'm, I'm laughing. This is not funny at all. You're about to look at me like, oh, my word, that's awful, Mark. If you wanted to condemn your, your child to death and carry out the execution, you could do that. They, they had that much power. It was that insane in the first century for children that they were property. In fact, a lot of families looked at kids as just a practical benefit. I need to have more kids because that'll help my family. I'll have more workers. I'll have more help. And then he goes on to talk about slaves and masters, which for us obviously sounds a little bizarre. But in the first century, slavery was common. It was normal. People didn't Think twice about it. Slavery was not a social justice issue. It was life. In fact, some historians say that at the height of the Roman Empire, 50% of the people who lived in the empire were probably slaves. Every household just had a whole bunch of them. They did everything. And so Paul's writing to them, and, and again, and they were just completely objects. They, they had no kind of workers' rights, no workers' comp. In fact, a, a slave, if it got too old, if they got too sick, they would just be left out to die. Slaves weren't allowed to get married. And, and if one slave was lucky enough to escape one night and find a nice woman and have a baby, that, that baby actually wouldn't even be his. It would be the master's. Like it was harsh, cruel living. And, and Paul's saying that's, that's how it was. But that's not how it has to be. And what Paul really does here is he introduces a new way. He introduces a better way. So this is what he's speaking into, and, and it's a good reminder for us that Jesus never stands for inequality. Jesus never stands for injustice. He is against those things all of the time. And in fact, the church has always been at the forefront 
of the least of these. The church was at the forefront of making women not be treated like property. The way that Jesus spoke to women and included women and what he did in the kingdom, it changed the world. The church has been at the forefront at the, of abolishing slavery. In fact, our denomination, one of the key things that happened was we branched off because we were against slavery. We, we didn't feel like it was probably right or good. Uh, the church has, has always been against racism. It's always been against all of these things where people have kind of been left to the out, outside, the outcasts on the outskirts. And Jesus doesn't stand for that. In fact, when Paul writes in Galatians, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. There's no longer man or woman. Now you understand that that was crazy talk in the first century. There was absolutely a difference between man and woman. There there was a huge difference between the slave and a master. There's so much power in those words that sometimes we miss because we don't understand the full context But the church was built on relationships, mutual relationships with love and respect. The church was able to introduce those ideas into a world that was lacking them greatly. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to start by talking uh, wives and husbands. I'm a husband who has a wife, so I'm an expert on this topic. And so you should believe everything I say. I regret this sermon already in some ways. Um, Verse 18 He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. And so now you see both spouses have a role to play. This this relationship has now become a reciprocal relationship. It wasn't before. So already he's changed some things. But when Paul says, wives, submit, and uh, some of you are on the edge of your seat already, This has been one of those oft-debated, very interesting, fought-over verses for a long time. But what I want to focus on tonight is what Paul is really saying to her is that I want you to be willing to submit to your husband because you've never had to. He's always forced you into this, right? It's always been a one-way relationship where wives had husbands that they didn't even necessarily love. They didn't even necessarily like them. They didn't even necessarily have a choice who their husband was. So what Paul is saying now is instead of doing this, maybe kind of belligerently, or maybe you'd rather rebel, maybe you'd rather cause, you'd make this hard, and you'd make this tense, and you'd be just awful because you're with this guy. He's saying, no, I want you to willingly submit to him because that's what's fitting for someone who follows Jesus. And so all of a sudden, this becomes actually way bigger than husbands and wives. He's saying as followers of Christ, you're going to be under people that you have to submit to. And for followers of Christ, it's fitting for you to do that well. We, learn, we need to learn how to submit better under the authority that might be above us. That could be your boss. That, that, that could be uh, a leader. It could be a politician. Paul is saying, I want you to do this well as someone who follows the Lord, whether you think they deserve it or not. Whether you think they've earned it or not. 
This is how I want you to be. And, and I know this week we have a whole bunch of people upset about who the president is. We, we'd had a whole bunch of people upset if the other person had a one. I, I remember people who were livid when Trudeau became prime minister, and I had just as many people who were pumped up about that. And, and the Bible, what, what it's saying here is, I don't care if you're encouraged or discouraged about who your leaders are. This is our calling, that we would be well under them. That, that we would serve well under them. Their being worthy of it doesn't have any bearing on our calling to do it. Amen, quietly? Right? The person above you, their being worthy of it doesn't change the fact that God calls us to serve under these people. The Bible says to respect your governing authorities, to serve under them well. He said it's fitting for people who belong to the Lord to do that, which means it's ill-fitting for people who belong to the Lord to not do that. It doesn't fit well. It doesn't look right for people who call themselves Christians to, to lash out and, and, and kind of obliterate, whether vocally or whatever, the people who are above them. He says that's ill-fitting. That's not what we do as followers of Christ. Remember, how you treat other people is about you. How you treat other people is about you and Jesus. It's not necessarily about the other person. So the word submission there doesn't, doesn't necessarily have a negative connotation. It doesn't always mean kind of an overbearing, domineering kind of thing there. It, it, just, it just means how will you be under someone who is over you? In fact, Paul goes on to tell the husband the exact same thing, right? Like sometimes we, he, he says, love your wives, which is nice, if not super vague. Thankfully, he elaborated on it in Ephesians 5.25 where he says, husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave up his life for her. Okay, now he's raised the bar super high. Right? So for all the wives who are like, we're always the ones that have to submit to our husbands, uh-uh, the bar just got like, woo! And now we are called to love our wives the same way Christ loves the church, which is to literally give up our lives for them. To love them in that capacity, in that way. Talk about submission. Right now, don't, ladies, don't use this against your husbands. Right? Like, dear, you did not carry your dishes to the sink. Jesus carried a cross. Right? Like, don't! You're not allowed to do that. Are you loving me like Jesus loves the church? Just don't. Be nice. Be nice. The husbands are called to, to submit in that, in that kind of way, to love extravagantly and to sacrifice for your wife and to lay down for your wife. You're not allowed to use that submission verse against your wife because she's got a better one for you. Let's love your wife like Jesus loved the church. That's a lot. And he goes on to say, never treat them harshly. And what Paul is saying here is that husbands then, they had full opportunity and privilege to treat their wives harshly with no consequence. And he's saying, just don't. Even if you have the power to treat someone that way, I'm asking you not to. And that's really a good lesson for all of us, whether you're a husband or not. Sometimes even if you think you have the power and authority over someone to say something harsh or negative or mean or, uh, no, I'm in a right place and I'm allowed to say that, Jesus would look at us and say, you don't have to actually. You can choose to not say those words. You can choose to not be that way. 
It says, don't treat them harshly. Some verses actually translate that. Don't exasperate your wife. Don't exasperate her. Honor her and build her up. You should brag about your wife. When she's with you, brag about your wife when she's not with you. Speak well of her. Any amens from the women right now? See, the big thing that Paul did right here was that he made marriage move from a dictatorship to a partnership. That was revolutionary. He changed everything with these verses. It wasn't just about kind of a one party with full power. It wasn't about a relational transaction that benefited one of the other people. In fact, now marriage wasn't even just about you. It's about how can I put the needs and desires of the other one ahead of my own? How can I sacrifice for the other one in my marriage? I mean, he just completely flipped it on its head. It's not what do you owe me, but what can I do for you? That's how you love. That's how you show respect and kindness in a relationship. He goes on to talk about children. Verse 20. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. And, and again, children obey because it pleases the Lord. See, obedience to parents wasn't necessarily about the parents. It was about the Lord. Because I'm, I'm sure there are children who are under parents who aren't great parents. Parents who make it hard. Parents who believe different things. It's, again, it's what does it look like for a follower of Christ to be under hard authority? And he says, obey them because that's what followers of Christ do. Do it well. It's not about their worthiness. It's about you and it's about Jesus. And so children, if you're here, obey your parents. That's really about... Now, for the record... And I, I looked this up. Children in this context means actual young kids who still live at home. Okay, so parents, like it doesn't doesn't apply forever, mom. Doesn't apply forever, dad. Right? So you can't be like, you never come and visit me. The Bible says obey your parents. I'm demanding, mom. I'm 52. Leave me alone. Right? Like there is a point when this doesn't apply anymore. Okay? I'm just throwing that out there. You guys can argue about the age that happens at. But next week, again, we're having a family service, and the children will be up here, and I'll preach at them then. That'll be great. Uh, but really what I want to talk about is the part where it says, now parents don't aggravate your children. And, and the word kind of, and parents are probably going, children don't aggravate your parents, right? Like, it's, that works both ways. But the word aggravate there means to annoy persistently. Which, again, you think of the kids usually, not the parents. But, but what that means is parents just quit nagging your kids all the time. He's saying quit hovering over them and just constantly being at them. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you blah? It's just this constant persistent kind of thing. And, and, and parents, like, don't, you got to let your kids fail sometimes. You got to let your kids make bad decisions and learn from it sometimes. I heard someone say recently in a much more eloquent, better way that really parenting is an 18-year-long act of just letting your kid get a little bit further away from you. Until eventually one day, that's it. Well, that doesn't happen if you're constantly over them and nagging them. At some point, the power you have over your children, you, you kind of have to relinquish some of that and give them the power to make their own decisions. And so he's saying, don't, don't aggravate your children. Don't constantly criticize your children. Don't constantly compare your children. Right? Like if you've got multiple kids, don't be the parent who says, well, your sister's never late. Your brother always has his homework done on time, right? Like, you're just going to end up with a kid who never feels like they're good enough. 
right? And, and, and really, the thing, that one of the hard, maybe best, maybe worst parts about parenting is really a lot of your parenting happens when you don't know that it's happening. And you're just constantly imparting truth to your kids. And, and they're watching you, and they're picking up on your mannerisms and your impressions and your words, and they're just, they're just going to eventually kind of be like you, whether you wanted them to be or not. Um, I was playing with Nintendo with my kids this weekend, actually, and one of them messed up, and she's eight, and she just kind of went, oh, crap. I was like, oh, what? You're eight? Where did you? Oh, crap. <laughs> right? Like, and I know some of you are offended that I said that. I'm 36. She's eight. Right? I was like, how dare you say that word? My fault. Right? Because they're watching me and learning from me, and that's really a lot of your parenting happens that way, doesn't it? So instead of just being all over your kids, do this, do that, do that, why don't you just live a good life for Jesus and let them watch it, and maybe they'll model that. Finally, Paul talks to slaves and masters. Verse 22, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than people. And remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. The master you are serving is Christ. So again, this is purely an attitude issue. How do I serve under someone who I don't like? How do I serve under an authority that I don't agree with? How do I serve under someone that I didn't even have any say in this? And again, really what Paul is saying is you don't have to like them to be good under them. You don't have to change to become like them to serve under their authority well. You don't have to change your beliefs. Paul wasn't forcing the slave to turn into someone like the master, but just to serve well under him. Right? And so when you look at politics, right, a, a conservative doesn't have to become a liberal if the government changes, but a conservative is also not allowed to become a jerk. Right? You're not allowed to change. Jesus says, serve well under them. In fact, why don't you just pretend that you're not serving them at all because you're really serving Jesus? And so why don't you honor them in a way that's honoring to Jesus? Why don't you speak about them in a way that Jesus would be pleased with? Why don't you post on Facebook in such a way that Jesus wouldn't be ashamed of? And remember, Paul lived this. Like, Paul was beaten by the authorities. He was arrested by the authorities. He was jailed by the authorities. And he never retaliated. He never spoke ill of, of his jailers. In fact, he sang hymns and prayed with them. He saved some of them. Can you imagine what would have happened instead had Paul retaliated and just wrote nasty Facebook messages on the wall of the prison? Just like, hope he comes in here and reads this someday. How much of a jerk he's been. I know, Paul never did that. See, he honored the people above him in a way that was worthy of Christ, and Jesus actually was able to use it and do great things for the kingdom. So instead of kind of spewing all kinds of toxic language at the people, whether it's a politician, whether it's a boss, whether it's a leader, whether it's a spouse or an ex-spouse or whatever, Paul's kind of saying, like, I dare you, I, I dare you to be kind and loving under them and see what happens. It changed people with Paul. See, he knew what it was like to serve under someone 
in a way that was still honoring to Jesus. See, when you invite Jesus into your life, you're really inviting him to mess with all of the other relationships around you. And, and really, you can see that in all these verses. Verse 22, he says, do this because you fear the Lord. Verse 23, work as if you are working for the Lord. Verse 24, the master you serve is really even Christ. So it's never even about your boss or the political leader or the person above you. It's about Jesus and what it looks like to serve him. See, your ultimate authority is him. So how are you under him? Are you honoring him in the way that you live? It's, and again, it's not just about parents You'll notice with the children's obedience, it was about the Lord. And, and remember, when wives were supposed to love their husbands, it was because it was fitting for those who belonged to the Lord. For husbands to love their wives, it was as if Christ loved the church. Jesus is in every single one of those relationships. He was in every one of those verses. Sometimes it's not even about the other person, but it's about him. And how you treat the people around you is really indicative of how you feel about him. And how much he's changed you and how much change he might still have to be doing in all of you. See, these verses were revolutionary back then, but they still are today too, aren't they? People don't like a lot of what we just read. People don't act like a lot of what we just read through. It's no less important today. You're surrounded by imperfect people. You have imperfect relationships and imperfect circumstances, and, and your call is to to be the best you can be in all of those circumstances because Jesus. That's why. That's how we do this. That's how we speak and love and respect. How you treat other people is not about other people. It's about you. And what is it saying about Jesus for the people who are watching you, the people who follow you, the people who read what you write, the people who kind of emulate what you say? What What did your kids learn about politics this week? What new words did they learn? Everything changes because of Jesus, even relationally, even in our own homes, even in our own families, and wherever you go from here. So let's love our wives like Jesus loved the church, and let's love our husbands in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Let's obey our parents because it pleases the Lord, and let's be well under our authority figures as if we're really serving Christ as our master. And let's see how God uses that to change our relationships to change our attitudes, to change the people around us. You might not be able to change your circumstances, but you can change your attitude, right? Your relationships are up to you. And, and, and really, here's the bottom line, is that making things better for all of the other people around you starts by looking in the mirror and saying, what can I do to fix this relationship? What can I do to encourage this person? What can I do to serve well? What can I do to lead well with all of these people? And God can do incredible things, right? And, and everything changes over time, right? You're not always going to have the same boss, the same politician, the same authority figures, the same people. You're, you're going to move out of your homes at some point. But you're still going to be you. And the people are still going to remember you from those relationships and the way that you made them feel and the words that you used don't you want to leave a legacy that you're proud of? That people can look back on and say, man, he really knew how to, how to be in that relationship. He knew how to serve well under a difficult person. So let's let Jesus transform our relationships this week. Whether with your spouse, your kids, your parents, work, school, 
Paul almost dared these people to live that way. It was incredulous. It was you're out of your mind that I would live that way. And Paul's like, just do it and see what happens. And you'll be amazed at what Christ can do in your relationships when you give him that control. Let me pray for us. Father, we just pray right now. For all of us in this room, really, there isn't a single person in this room that doesn't have a relationship or multiple relationships. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to honor you in all of those relationships, to love these people like we really love you, to to speak of other people in a way that would be honoring to you. I pray that we would operate in such a way this week that it would be fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And if we're not, I pray that you would give us a gentle nudge, a kind reminder to maybe not say that thing or to write that word, to complain and criticize. Help us be people that, that live well and show kindness and to love each other better so that maybe they can see you in us. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.